This podcast is for the curious and for those seeking honest conversations about life and ministry. It's for those fully aware that we are in a moment in history that demands our attention and our intentionality. The world is about to turn, and this podcast is for those who seek to be co-conspirators with the Holy Spirit. Those who wish to affect the turn toward the one who offers life and life abundance in this world, in our weary world. It's for those that are committed to God's invitation to us as church together, as people in mission, responding to the demands of the gospel. This is just one more occasion where we get to have wonderful and amazing conversation. I am Bishop Leila Ortiz of the Metropolitan Washington, D.C. Synod, and we are talking about here in this podcast of what it looks like for us to be present and active in a world that is about to turn, in a world that is turning um, with us and hopefully um, through, through the work that we get to do for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of this world and the church. Today, I am very, very pleased to have with us three guests. And I'm really excited because the stories that they hold in their bodies are stories that um, they can't make up. We just can't make them up. They're just incredible stories. And we're I'm eager to have the conversation and to hear them. And so today we have with us Deacon Deb Haynes, we have Deacon Dave Larrabee, and Pastor Betty Landis. And I'm going to invite them each to introduce themselves. And what I would like love to hear as we begin, because I want you, the hearer, to get a sense of who is with us today, I want to hear a bit of your your um, faith journey. Um, what has brought you to this place? What has kept you saying yes to the gospel? And then from there, we'll go on into um, what it looks like for us to live into the mission of our synod together. So Deacon Deb, please share a bit of yourself with okay. us. Um, I'm Deacon Deb Haynes. I have a call from the synod council to the Lamb Center, um, which I share with my colleague, Deacon Dave Larrabee. Um, we are a daytime drop-in center for people experiencing homelessness, and we are an ecumenical Christian ministry. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fun to have two ELCA de deacons there. Um, I'm a cradle Lutheran I'm from central Pennsylvania, so very culturally Lutheran as well, mm -hmm. <laughs> as, well as uh, religiously Lutheran. Um, but also that frozen chosen thing is a little bit true. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's where I came from. And then um, as an adult with um, a career in federal contracting, um, I was a systems analyst, been in DC and doing that thing for a lot of years. But I kept experiencing these odd nudges that I didn't know what they were. Um, and I went to my pastor at the time and said, I think this is crazy, but I think maybe God wants me to do something. And she's like, no, you're not crazy. That's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Folks like you sometimes don't recognize that. <laughs> Hadn't met a Luther Costal yet. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so, so she invited me to be the leader for our congregation, being an early participant in the hypothermia prevention program, which is basically congregations and other faith communities acting as emergency shelters over the winter mm. to keep people experiencing homelessness from freezing to death. Yeah. 
Um, and then that was it. That was when Jesus got me and really changed my life. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you. Deacon Dave. I'm Deacon, Deacon Dave Larrabee, and I also serve at the Lamb Center. I don't need to explain that, but I'm a, I guess you say I'm a, a Mormon Lutheran. I mean, I grew up as a Mormon in Utah, mm. the most unlikely person to be a, a Lutheran deacon. And I became a, I became a Lutheran because I, I was stationed in Germany for three and a half years, and I married a Lutheran. And mm -hmm. We did not really go to church. We visited a lot of cathedrals in, in, in Germany, and uh, it was only after... Uh, I got, got my bachelor's degree in Utah, political uh, ma bachelor's degree in political science in German, and came out here to get a master's degree in Russian and East European studies. Of so, course, why not? Of course, <laughs> I mean, that's what you need to be at the Lamb Center. Sure. And, and we, we just started going to uh, a Lutheran congregation in Montgomery Village, Crisis Servant. Mm. And with all my education, I ended up with uh, working at the Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C., and... Uh, you know, doing a lot of international traveling and things like that, and um, I'm kind kind of a mess up in my life. Where I, I while, while at the Department of Commerce, I ended up with a a felon. Well, I threw my marriage away. My and my ex took my kids to Germany for a couple of years. Mm. I ended up with a, a felony conviction for making seventeen thousand dollars of phone calls to Germany on oh the government's goodness. tab, mm -hmm. and it was my, my loving probation officer who, I guess she, she I saw Christ in her, mm. she sent me to this place called the Lamb Center to uh -huh. do 100 hours of community service, and wow, I, 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 I did the 100 hours, and, and one mm. person who, I really, who saw Christ in me and I saw Christ in him was uh, the director at that time, a man named Steve Schlossberg, and he told me, he said, I know God brought you here for a reason. Mm. And I thought he was just totally insane because <laughs> my probation officer acted like she was God. And, but, but I was pretty sure that she wasn't. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I stayed there. I did my 100 hours, and then I left and isolated. And then it was uh, three months in sobriety where I had a, burn, a burning desire to come back to the Lamb Center that mm. I couldn't explain. And I came back, and I was a, a Monday volunteer, and then they hired me back in... Twenty years ago, they hired me for the Saturday ministry, and, and and then this Steve guy, he had the nerve to go off to seminary to become a, an Episcopal priest. The nerve, and yeah. The, the nerve, and so I, I ended up as as director. And I really didn't think about seminary until until Deb, one of our guests, invited Deb to come to the Lamb Center. And, you know, said you need to go to Lamb Center and see Mister Dave. Mm. And Deb had just started her. Her journey for going to seminary mm. and uh, to be a deacon, and I just when when she said that, I, I, I thought that's where God's calling me, mm. and I, you know, went went to seminary, and I was called on the same day on my sixty first birthday, yeah. to, to 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 by the synod to to be a deacon at the Lamb Center. Mm -hmm. On your sixty first birthday, and now now I'm instead of the director of operations, I'm the pastoral director at the Lamb Center as we've grown. By leaps and bounds, <laughs> and you just got a an award for uh, or a celebration of twenty uh, years. A celebration in twenty. They're so sneaky at the Lamb Center. They, <laughs> they, gave, they gave me a plaque for twenty years with the cake and everything, and uh, hiding that was hard. <laughs> they, they they hid and they even. Well, you know, we, we have a memorial wall at the Lamb Center of uh, mm -hmm. our guests who have passed away, and mm. I go to a place called Campers every time. Someone dies, mm -hmm. and I. Every time I do that, when I put a name on there, I tell them the history. 
mm. of, of that person. Mm-hmm. And so they called up campers and said they wanted a plaque for Dave Larrabee. <laughs> and Kitty said, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Please, no, let that not yeah, be the case. That, that, yeah. that's, a, that's life at the Lamb Center. Yeah. 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 It's a family there. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's a family of love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good segue, good segue. Uh, Betty, Pastor Betty, please share just a bit of who you are. Sure. Um, my uh, my family, uh, not dissimilar to Deacon Deb, is that I grew up as a Lutheran. Um, cradle Lutheran didn't realize how much of a blessing that was until much later in life. Mm. But um, I went away from the church when I was in my mm, 20-somethings for various reasons, explored sort of the ecumenical um, field because that was something that my heart was drawn to, but um, found myself uh, coming back, and uh, that was about the same time that I was really exploring what next because I had um, gone beyond my expectations in my first career, my first vocation as a lawyer. I had sat on all sides of the table as a person passionate about people and their jobs, And I kept asking what it was that was calling me back to the values and the things that I had learned as a person of faith. And I wanted to explore more. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I took a big old time out and I, I left a Fortune 50 company, a law division, and said, I'd like to just study. Mm. I'd like to just study. Mm. Um, so I went to seminary on a weird off track somebody who just showed up not knowing that you just don't do that (laughs) Um, but similar to other parts of my life I I I tried to forge a new path but uh, the church as it is wont to do kept calling me back to the the path that is necessary and over time I I experienced what other people have known sometimes since they were cradles in the cradle. Um, I experienced a call, an external call, not mm. as much an internal call because I didn't think that was possible, somebody like me. Mm. So um, having started at an ecumenical pluralistic seminary, I realized I needed to understand a little bit more about our Lutheran theology that I had gro- grown up with and gone away from and then come back to because mm-hmm. the theology is so rich and really um, was important to me, and I did my Lutheran time at um, the what is now the ULS Seminary at Gettysburg, and it was each step of the way that external call kept confirming that, yes, maybe pastoral ministry was for me after all, even though mm. I had always thought that I was just going to go to seminary and go back to uh, being a lawyer or an advocate or a mediator or helping people solve problems. So um, here I am now. So I'm doing all those things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> advocating, exactly helping right. people solve yeah, problems. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot yeah. of people look at you and say, "Oh, how could it be that you, you know, a lawyer?" And now, and I say, "Well, you know, we believe in law and gospel." So yeah. now I just got the and in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so uh, 17 years later, I have had and been blessed to have a call in Pennsylvania, uh, in the Metro Chicago area, going back to kind of my. Midwestern roots, thinking I was going to settle and be there forever. Uh, But as sometimes happens, um, I had met someone as soon as I took that call out Mm -hmm. to the Midwest, and we then were in a long-distance first relationship and then marriage for seven years. And it was thanks to um, taking a, a, 
time to realize that it was important for us to maybe live together in yeah. the same place, <laughs> that uh, I would receive the call here. And um, the call to the Metro uh, DC Synod was, was really a, a significant blessing because I've been called to a small congregation, which is where my heart and my passion is. It is a diverse congregation. It is a, a congregation that's passionate about both ecumenical ministries, interfaith, as well as um, reaching people that come from all over the world, all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just am, I feel very blessed to be here and to be able to serve in such a diverse and um, loving congregation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really, uh, talk about, I, we, we prayed before and I asked God to make it so that we would be refreshed after we had our time and conversation. And I'm, I'm good. I'm refreshed. <laughs> I'm refreshed just by your stories, um, your stories of faith. I especially appreciate how um, not linear any of your stories are mm -hmm. and how in some cases a bit messy and a bit uh, complicated and God has happened. God, mm -hmm. God insists on happening and the Holy Spirit insists on leading and guiding and bringing us to places of celebration of um, just peace, peace that we have been surely called into the places that we are, even as we continue discerning where God might have us next. Right. Mm -hmm. I invited you all today because we today we're, we're focusing on the part of our mission statement and I'll repeat it. I'll, I'll share it with you again. Um, those of you who are hearing us for the first time, the mission statement of our Senate is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are called to cultivate a bold and boundless love for Jesus and for God's beloved creation. And so we've come to the point in our series where we're talking about what it might look like for us and what has it looked like for us to have a bold and boundless love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I will, I will just share a bit. Um, some of you may remember, some of you may have been there when I was first installed as Bishop, um, at, uh, college, college park. Um, and I remember once it was all done and I had been installed by the presiding Bishop and I was told this is now the time where you should say something <laughs> and I'm standing in front of everyone. And during the week, the only thing that kept coming up for me over and over and over again was this deep, deep desire, yearning, concern, um, just, just, is this what's happening or is this what we're being called to? And the question was, um, do we, do we simply know a whole lot about Jesus or do we know Jesus? And what would be the difference if we actually knew him? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I came before the congregation or everyone who was there gathered for the installation, I said, this is our call. Our call is not to limit our experience of Jesus with knowledge of who Jesus was historically or who Jesus is in our lives, but actually to get to know him, actually be in relationship with Jesus, actually recognize and know Jesus. And I, I remember saying on that day as the lover of our souls, right? The one who loves us unconditionally and is the, the, the reason for us living and being in ways that are prophetic and in ways that lean towards justice, right? And so that has been part of my um, preaching and teaching since I became bishop, this, 
this yearning and this desire for us to transcend the knowing um, or the or the the knowing about to mm-hmm. the actual knowing the person mm-hmm. of the incarnation of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that has been part of the motivation behind the mission statement that we created together as a Senate office. Um, and to talk about this love as being bold and boundless. And so I've known each of you to have a love for Jesus that is palpable, that is um, evident, there's no doubt about it. And yet your love for Jesus um, manifests and, and motivates you to do slightly different things in different ways. And that's what I would like us to talk about today. What, what has it looked like for you um, to genuinely have a bold, and boundless love for Jesus. Um, who is Jesus for you? How has Jesus inspired you to live into your call in the ways that you do? So I'd love to start. Let's start with Deacon Dave. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where I see Jesus is in the face of our guests when, when they come to the door. I mean, we're, the Lamb Center has always been a mutual ministry mm-hmm. where it's not just we love and serve our guests, but they. They love, mm. they love and serve us as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, I mean, my, my prayer every day is that we can see the face of Christ mm. in each person who walks through the door. And it's, it's amazing how often I see that in our guests, just a love, not only being able to love them and serve them, but just the way that they love us. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just an amazing thing and how, I, I guess, a lot of people assume that people who are experiencing homelessness are not gentle people. Mm. Mm. Sorry, so, but but I, I I see that at the Lamb Center and and and, and kindness in them. But it's just a I, I have a really good story that I I love to tell because I um, two two years ago I went through a lot a lot of medical issues and uh, you know a stroke, brain surgery, and that I was away from the Lamb Center mm. for for three months and. After I left Mount Vernon Rehab, I was a, a month away, I mean, just of home health care and that and physical therapy. And th- this baseball park, just really close to the Lamb Center, I was going on a walk with my walker. Mm-hmm. And I saw a man laying on the sidewalk. I was all ready to call 911. Mm. And it was one of the city jobs workers, one of our guests. Mm. He was just taking a break. <laughs> and he jumped up. And, you know, he was there with nine other workers, and he just screamed out, it's Deacon Dave! <laughs> and there were nine other nine other of our guests running across this ball field just because I had been gone for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And, and when I got back to the Lamb Center, they just they told me, they're, they keep telling me that they're praying for me and how's my health. And that's that, that mutual love that we, we're, we're, we're called to serve our guests in many ways. But it's, it's, it's a mutual ministry of, of, that goes both ways. Yeah. There's something about, about bold and boundless love that is unashamed, that is loud and celebratory, right? When there's real, genuine love, you're, yeah. you're going to yell, there's Deacon Dave, right? Yeah. Um, because it merits, right? Your presence, mm-hmm. your experience, their experience of you, your humanity matters, right? And so... And there's some joking that goes with that, too, because I got to the bottom of the hill... And I'm with my sweetheart, and I'm going up this steep hill. Uh-huh. I just thought I'm a, I'd impress him, and I gave Michelle my walker. Uh-huh. And I'm walking up without the walker, and all I heard was, get those knees up, Deacon. <laughs> yes. But that's, that's love. That's yeah. how we love each other. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's a bold love of Jesus. Yeah, it is. It is. Deacon Deb, 
Yeah, so um, different kind of messy. Um, <laughs> so create a Lutheran, um, but never had that experience of seeing Jesus in another person mm. or knowing what that experience was like or making that transition from knowing about Jesus to actually knowing Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I apologize. This is a clogged toilet bathroom story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's homeless services. Um, so uh, my church was uh, serving as this hypothermia prevention program. Mm-hmm. And we had a guest um, who's now deceased. Um, but he was a, a big, angry man, um, a functional alcoholic who worked construction so he had to be up at like 5 a.m or maybe even 4 30 a.m to be to work on time Mm. Um, and he was grumpy and I had sat with him and eaten dinner and known that he was not a friendly person Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the middle of the night we had a catastrophe in the little girl's bathroom that was on the level where people were sleeping so I'm in there hysterically trying to plunge this toilet that is beyond what I can do with a plunger and he appears in the door of the bathroom and he's like church lady do you know what you're doing? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't have the money for a plumber. <laughs> um, and he's like, I'll help you. So mm-hmm. we find the janitor's closet. We find the snake. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> and not only did he do it for me, but he also taught me how to do it. So I'm standing in this really nasty flooded bathroom and it's now like 2 a.m. This man has to get ready for work in like two and a half hours. He's supposed to be my guest. I'm supposed to be serving him. Mm. And instead, he is helping me, teaching me, being incredibly generous Mm -hmm. out of the skills he had to share. And I can really say that the first time I saw Jesus in another person was standing in that bathroom, Mm -hmm. looking into his face and being amazed at what he was willing to do for me Mm -hmm. um, and the help he was willing to give. Um, And uh, that, that really... That, that experience, that whole hypothermia prevention experience, but him in particular, um, really changed what it meant to me to know Jesus yeah. um, and to experience him in my life and how that translated into how I interacted with other people and what I saw in them. I knew what a textbook definition of the Imago Dei was, but then I saw it. Um, and so that that really changed me, and so I ended up leaving a, a good career as a systems analyst and a federal contractor and going to seminary. And, you know, now I serve at the Lamb Center and his name is on our memorial wall. He passed a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, and uh, every once in a while I just walk over and put my hand on his name because that's, mm. a, that's a memory that dives really deep into why I do what I do and, mm. and how, you know, Jesus was like, I know you're really comfortable over here doing this, but I'm going to move you way over there where you are not comfortable mm-hmm. um, and, and teach you what it's like to really love and, and, and be loved. I think that this is really interesting. Um, my original question was, what does it look like for you to boldly and boundlessly love Jesus? And both of you shared of how you have been boldly and boundlessly loved yeah. <laughs> by Jesus, right, yeah. through other people. I find yeah. that really, really yeah. um, beautiful. Also, too, just to kind of go back to your story, Deb, I think I think it's really interesting that the person that you least expected to help you because you already were in a relationship where he's a little, you he's know, grumpy. he's a grumpy guy. <laughs> you had no expectation of him helping you. Right. And it was precisely that person who 
tapped you on the shoulder right. in the most messy of situations, right? Yeah. To kind of rescue you, right? Yeah. And yeah. not only rescue you, but teach you. Yeah. And beyond teaching you how to snake, yes. <laughs> right? A, a, a toilet, he taught you how to see beyond yeah. Um, yeah. the grumpiness of some people that might be yeah. around us. Actually, just recently, I heard a, a, a therapist say that when she encountered people that had a bad attitude, that the bad attitude was pointing to despair. Right. Um, and that just <laughs> talk about change. Right. Because how many people do we not confront or do we not engage that have poor attitudes and you just want to meet them where they are? And the gospel tells us, no, no, you're called to love. Right. You're called to engage the humanity, um, not the behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to think of this 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 man who was grumpy in the morning was also human and humane mm -hmm. <laughs> right mm -hmm. and for this therapist to, to remind me for instance and now re reminding all of us that when we encounter someone who has a bad attitude maybe we need to look beyond the attitude and um, focus on the potential despair that they're engaging right and instead of meeting them where they are in bad attitude meet them with compassion Right. To be bold and boundless in our love and compassion for the neighbor. Pastor Betty, please share just a bit of well, um, gonna... <laughs> how you perceive it. <laughs> well, I'm going to go back a little bit and have to explain that um, I grew up in a family where we didn't say I love you very much. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a family where it was you showed your love. Mm -hmm. You you know, you you knew that you were loved. There was never a doubt, but it wasn't a lot of using that that language. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, no one ever expected me to go into pastoral ministry, given my um, desire to advocate and my sometimes zealous advocacy. <laughs> um, uh, so as I was going through the process, I went back um, to my home um, congregation and talked to the pastor who had seen me as a young person. And um, and he was actually on the candidacy committee, as I recall. Mm. And this was early on in my process, and he he did not encourage me. Mm. He did. He was not a part of my external call. Mm. And then when I got through through various means uh, of this, you know, kind of interesting path to having been through the endorsement and then at the approval level for, am I going to be actually ordained to become a pastor? I had to have his. Mm. his approval he was sitting on that panel mm. and i was um i was nervous and the only question that came from his mouth was betty do you love jesus mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'd studied mm. i'd done all the work mm -hmm. i'd understood i'd gone on internship i'd done all the things and here was this question that is really the bottom line and i fumbled all over i mm. i immediately froze i immediately thought what is he looking for he's already doesn't think you know and <laughs> i just just blabbled on bab babbled on and on sort of like i'm doing now and um it was only after i ended my um my time in front of this panel that i saw him in the lunch and i went up to him and i said you know pastor this is what i should have said to you Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. 
Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's really now been the, the foundation mm-hmm. for all of my pastoral ministry, all of the ways that having been given the opportunity like the two of you to work with people who are unhoused or um, who are in, in you know, unique circumstances that need food and to be with people that are on the exact opposite side but still have as much to spare, despite mm-hmm. how much money they might have in their life and how much success and status. Um, so to have been able to be um, working alongside and in mutual ministry uh, with all of them, um, it's because Jesus first loved even me mm-hmm. that um, I'm able to to do the things that I do, to... Um, be involved in right now the Poor People's Campaign, which mm-hmm. is um, mm. an organization that is actually trying to help all of our country understand that um, poverty is the fourth leading cause mm. of death yeah. in America right mm-hmm. now, and that these things don't happen in isolation, even mm-hmm. though in America we try to silo them and deal with them oh we'll just house this person or we'll just feed this person or we'll just deal with racism or we'll just deal with creation care it they're all related Mm -hmm. and um i'm passionate about the poor people's campaign and what it means to really not only um work on behalf of but center the voices of the people that are experiencing poverty in america in a way that so many people don't hear, don't yep. see, don't see, mm-hmm. yeah, recognize like what you mm-hmm. see day in yep. and day out. So, yeah, to me, that is that is not only um, you know trying to be um, uh, God's hands and feet in this world, but remembering that it's God's work constantly mm-hmm. that is bringing Jesus' love into mm-hmm. this world. And despite all of the things that might show us otherwise. Um, it's because Jesus first loved us mm-hmm. yeah. that we can keep going back to that well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, one of the things that every single time I think about Jesus, the way, well, Deb, you mentioned Luther Costell earlier. Some people may not know what that means, but I was ra- I was born and raised in the Pentecostal church and then was addressed by the gospel of you in the Lutheran church. And so I, I, have not divorced the experiences, but I'm the totality of both experiences in my faith and in my um, leading and preaching. And one of the things that always kind of shocks me is that when I read the Gospels and Jesus is speaking, this is going to sound very strange, but Jesus always sounds like my mother. (laughs) And that is because um, my experience of my mother is very similar of my experience with Jesus, which is that um, I had unconditional love from my mom, but she was never going to hesitate if I was doing something that was incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. There was no like, oh, mamita, no, 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 <laughs> no, fix this. This is not who you are. This is not what you're called to do. You need to do X, Y, Z, right? And Jesus, I've always experienced to be so loving, so embracing, again, the lover of my soul and check yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You're not perfect. I've called you and you can't do this alone. You're not called to do this alone. Fix what you're thinking, fix your behavior, fix your, right? Whatever it is, Jesus has been very um, adamant, insistent on what it looks like to live into the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and how to co-participate, how to be complicit in bringing about the kingdom of God. 
And so when I think about boldly and boundlessly loving Jesus, I'm I'm convicted because I've I've experienced Jesus in a particular way that is always in my conscience, right? Every single time I'm going to make a decision, there's Jesus, just like when I was a kid, there's mom. <laughs> what is mom going to, if mom catches me, what is she going to say? Or am I making mom proud, right? This is a very strange, but I, I realized this and I want to share this because it was through mom that I got to know who Jesus was, mm-hmm. right? She yeah. was the one who took me to church. She was the one who was always telling me pray. She was always the one to tell me that Jesus was my friend, right? Mm-hmm. And so it makes perfect sense that when I read Jesus, I hear mommy, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or when I think mommy, I think Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but it doesn't change anything. When it comes to reading the Gospels, I find myself convicted all the time because how often can we actually read the gospel and it says, yep, I'm doing that, <laughs> right? I am doing exactly what Jesus says and calls us to do. Um, rarely, it's right? It's usually the opposite. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're doing actually the opposite. Um, so I find it really um, helpful and even prophetic to be honest about the journey, to be honest about how messy and complicated it is. And even in the messiness that we can be faithful, that we can hear the spirit, that we can hear Jesus loving and embracing us when we're grieving, when we're at loss, when our bodies are doing whatever the body wants to do and it's not working the way we want, right? Jesus is there to comfort us. And then when we see the world and what's actually happening in the world, Jesus is the one who's tugging and saying, I've equipped you, I've called you, I've given you authority and agency to be a voice in this place, in this moment. Not only a voice, but also hands and feet that can make a change, right? And so in thinking of that, that that's what I was thinking when, it, when I thought of being bold and boundless, right? There, I think it, we, it would be quite interesting and powerful for us to see a problem and address the problem without filtering it through what's it going to cost me <laughs> or what are people going to say or will people leave or will people be angry, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mo- a lot of what we do, especially in ministry, is filtered through what I would say at home, el que dirán, what will people say, Right. Rather than what would Jesus say (laughs) about me doing nothing? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so what would it look like for us to be bold in our preaching and in our teaching and in our acting and advocating um, because Jesus has done it for for us. Right. Jesus has been bold and boundless in his love for us Mm -hmm. um, for the to the point of true transformation and liberation of the soul and the spirit. Right. And so I've, I've seen that. In each of you, I've seen you um, be bold and boundless in how you have walked with people, um, people who have been marginalized, people who have been discarded by society, people who have been disinherited. And God has called you. Jesus has called and convicted you to the point where you 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 can't but be in that space. (laughs) Right. Um, You can't but um, be part of the people's campaign. You can't but come back to the Lamb Center after brain surgery. Right. You can't but come back to the Lamb Center after after all the tensions and all the things that have happened that we don't necessarily have to talk about here. Right. We all know. And yet we keep saying yes, because the spirit, because Jesus keeps insisting, I've given you authority for this. 
I've given you the capacity to do this really hard work for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the people and the creation that I love, right? And so <clears throat> thinking about that in your space, and I, I, I feel I might be putting you on the spot, but if there were if there were nothing, nothing to lose, if you had all the power, all the ability, all the capacity to do what is necessary in this moment for the sake of the gospel, um, what would that look like for you? Just to say a blanket yes to what's been stirring and happening in your heart for maybe a while now. What would, what would be different, if anything at all? Well, I think I'll, I'll just say that we Lutherans do a good job of going downriver and plucking people out of, mm. of the, the crashing water. Um, mm. and, but we, in our polity or in our fear of um, upsetting someone who might have a different perspective, are very hesitant to go upriver and to really make mm. the changes and to advocate um, and to and to really see that um, not as many people have to be yeah. in, in those desperate circumstances in just in our country and our world. We know there's enough. <laughs> yeah. we, we worship a God who has said, um, "I, you know, I I give you more than enough mm -hmm. in this amazing creation." Um, so so yeah, that that would be my hope is that as Lutherans we would not be so insistent on what I'll call the keep everybody happy club <laughs> and we would take some bold stances where we have tried so very hard to continue to keep a middle line yeah. um, uh, uh, helping people to understand that yes you might see it that way but we have a God who is calling us not just to do the amazing you know, day after day work of plucking people out but to really go way up river and make the changes ourselves individually yeah. as a church um, um, you know as 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 policies and as politics require because it is the work of the people just like liturgy is the work of the people in church yeah. polis is the work of the people in the greater you know common good for what does it mean to live to live together so yeah I wish we would be a little more bold and a little more um, in keeping with some of our our siblings in Christ, as well as other other faith traditions, that are are not making any excuses for taking mm. a stand mm -hmm. on behalf of those who Jesus particularly loved and had a special um, you know ministry to while he was on earth. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thinking about what does bold and boundless love look like. Dave and I said to each other as we were walking out the door of the Lamb Center, um, it looks like this, right? We were looking out over 100 people sitting down to eat together. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right. We do that, plucking people out of the river stuff really well. That's what we're in the business of every day. We are providing meals and showers and laundry and clothes and case management and lots of necessary, important services. But you're right. They're downriver. Um, the piece that we do that I think makes where we serve special, and I'll lay a lot of this um, on Dave's particular humility and grace in how he treats people and how he has taught all of us who have come along in the last 20 years since he's been there, um, how he's taught us to do it, is 
how we see that image of God in every person who comes in the door and to treat them with the dignity that that deserves. And I think if you take that approach of dignity and love um, for everyone, that reaches into the base of all those systemic issues, right? Because underneath the root of a lot of our, probably most of our systemic issues, whether you're talking about systemic racism or poverty or gun violence or mental health or anything else, is we do a lot of othering and a lot of not treating one another with um, dignity and respect, which regardless of how ill or grumpy or whatever mm -hmm. another human being you encounter is, that image of God is there. And if you can treat the person with respect as an image bearer, we can address a lot of those systemic issues. That's a treasure we have in our church that we need to really share more boldly and loudly and broadly. Before, before I want to hear from you, Deacon Dave, um, but I don't know if you remember, but last year, last year at our assembly, I was sharing that there were three different thinkers and authors that I um, come back to over and over again. And one of them was Emmanuel Levinas, which is a Jewish philosopher. And he talks about ontological murder, right, which is precisely what you're talking about. He says that when we engage another human being according to a concept mm -hmm. that has been created for us and mm -hmm. often against us, then we are not acknowledging the being that holds the concept and therefore we are engaging in ontological murder the ontology the being of that person is being murdered when we engage them according to a concept that is not the totality of who they are mm -hmm. right and so I think that's what you're saying. That's precisely what you're saying. So often we engage another human being according to what we see, right? And what we see has already, has there's already images that connect to that vision, that the visual that has been created for us by a society that has determined who's in and who's out, who's welcome and who's not, right? Mm -hmm. And when we as Christians fall complicit in that societal construction, we engage in ontological murder, right? We yeah. cannot, we're not treating the other human being, we're not treating the human being before us as a beloved child of God because we've been seduced by a, a, a social structure that has created more division than unity. And so I think you're absolutely right. If we could get to a place where we actually recognize the humanity and the Imago Dei in every single human being, our world would be a different place. It'd be nice if our church could be a different place, that when people come into our spaces, um, not just be, not just regardless of what they look like, but because of what they look like, right? Mm -hmm. That we could engage them as the human being that is beloved by God. What a difference. What a difference that space would be, what a difference the church would be. And because church is in society, just as society is in the church, what a difference the world would look like, right? If we could just get it together, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and I, I guess I just also say that... It, we, we worship and we love a, a God of, of complete and, and more than enough grace. Yes. And, and, but we as humans keep coming back to what is scarce, which is us. Yeah. We, we are creatures. But that Jesus faithfulness yeah. is, mm -hmm. is enough, yeah. you know, because ours will never be enough. Never. And mm -hmm. our work will never be enough and mm -hmm. our efforts. But, but because we are people... That, that have been given this amazing theology of, of, of bold and boundless grace that comes from Jesus' yeah. faithfulness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
whatever mm-hmm. we do, you know, is is helping others to, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. to tap into that. But anytime we come back to thinking it is up to us, yeah. we yeah. will go back to that scarcity model. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, whenever we, we think we have that much control or power, <laughs> we yeah, miss the mark bad. every time, every, every single time. time. Yeah. Um, as a pastoral director now at the Lamb Center, just I would like to look at some of these societal issues. I was recently invited by some of the our, our partners from other denominations. There was a rally at the Fairfax Courthouse for a young man named Timothy Johnson who was uh, he, he was shot by the Fairfax County Police hmm. for stealing a pair of sunglasses, allegedly. Mm. And I, I went to that rally, and you know, I'd like to do more of that. I'm just starting to get involved with the Poor People's Campaign. <laughs> awesome. But Because at this point in the Lamb Center, I'm, our case managers have, and other, our, our other partners have done so much to get people into housing, and we're just seeing a flood of, mm. new, of new guests coming in. It's like every day new faces, and mm. how do you... Stem that tide of people falling into the river. I was joking with somebody that Dave and I are called to the only parish in the church that we all agree we would like to get smaller instead of larger. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If only less people needed... Um, needed the lamp center, right? If we could work our way out of a job, (laughs) right out of a call, that would be a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I think, Pastor Betty, you had something to share. I just wanted to say, but your pastoral care role, obviously, Mm -hmm. not only on that individual basis, but it sounds like systemically, you have given such a gift Mm -hmm. in the way your heart, you know, for for God's people and the way you show Jesus' love. So. In that whole area, <laughs> not just in the building, but in that whole area, everyone knows Deacon Dave and right. Deacon Deb and Deacon Dave. I mean, everyone knows the impact of your ministry. And honestly, I, I mean, I've seen it for myself. And I think what what they see and experience is genuine love. I don't I've never seen you engage with anyone as if they were a stranger. Like as soon as someone comes in, I see Deacon Dave just walk up to them like, oh, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Like, you know, there's 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 welcome. There's true welcome. Right. And so just to see the impact of love and welcome right on people that have been marginalized and pushed aside that's that's legitimately liberating and transformative that's what the love of god looks like and is right Mm -hmm. that that people can walk in and experience us another human being that is flawed and complicated and amazing and beautiful all the things right and experience god through them is extremely liberating. I mean, talk about being able to take a deep breath, right? Mm-hmm. That I've been seen, right? I, I want to share this one one story because it, it's just um, I think of my cousin often, Elton Ruby. He is three years older than than me, but intellectually, he's he's about three years old, two or three years old. Mm-hmm. I grew up with him um, all my life. Like he was my sibling. He's so my mother and her sister married my father and his brother. So two and two, right? And so the three, my three cousins are like my siblings. And Elton was the youngest of the three. And I watched Elton. We went to church six days a week, Pentecostal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my aunt and uncle, my my uncle was the pastor, and um, because he was the pastor, he refused to let um, Elton stay home. Like the church was going to know who Elton was and they're going to have to deal with his tantrums and deal with, you know, the inconsistency or the or the spontaneity of who Elton was. Right. Elton is. 
And so um, the congregation got to experience God in a very, very different way through the most unexpected human being, right? Um, especially when we were growing up in the late 80s and 90s, it was a huge taboo. You do not want to bring anyone with mental disabilities into a church. It's, it's disruptive. It's just not good. My uncle could care less what anyone thought, which I really loved about him, um, and my aunt as well. And so Elton was always in the space. Elton was always in our space of worship. And um, one day, my aunt comes home. We, Because they were siblings, my aunt, uncle, mother and father, we always lived either in the same apartment or the same apartment building, or we were always together. So she comes home one day, and she tells us, um, I just had an experience with Elton, and I don't really know how to explain it other than God used him. And so she starts telling the story that she we were in the Bronx. She was in the Bronx and um, walking with Elton hand in hand. I should say Elton at this point is about 13 years old. He's 6'4". He's a very, very hefty guy. All the medications made him a big guy. Um, he was always very flexible, though, so he could run. And, and it was just a very, very hectic, amazing time being raised with Elton. Um, but this day, they were walking together under a bridge. And when they were walking under the bridge, um, Elton ripped away from my aunt and went straight to this man who was sitting under the bridge. And he squatted in front of the man and got face to face with this man who was sitting under the bridge. And he just stared into his eyes. And my aunt, because she knew who Elton was, trusted <laughs> that he would be fine and that God was doing something. And so he just squatted and stared at him, just stared at him. And then he said, she says about 30 seconds later, he just stood up and came back to my, to my aunt and they walked away. And my aunt looked back at the man and the man was sobbing, right? But she didn't know what to do, walks away, right? About three weeks later, this man shows up at our church. We had a storefront Pentecostal church. This man who's now in a, in a rain jacket and he's all cleaned up. We don't know who he is. My cousin, Elton's brother, older, who's now a pastor in, in Brooklyn, um, he, the man starts pointing and saying, the boy, the boy, right? I want to talk to the boy because he didn't realize that the boy had disabilities. Um, I want to talk to the boy. And so my, my cousin becomes very protective. Why do you want to talk to the boy? Who are you? This whole thing, right? <laughs> so finally, my aunt sees the man at the door and kind of sort of recognizes him. And he, said, he says, you, you were with the boy. You were with the boy. And so they both come to the, to the front. The whole church is watching this as it's happening. And he says, um, you're the boy. The boy, he came to me the day that I was going to kill myself. Mm. I told God, I just need someone to see me. I just need someone to see me and I won't take my life. And so that day, Elton just squatted and looked him in the eye and that man understood that he had been seen, right? Not for a homeless person, not as something to be discarded, but as a human being, he was seen and so he finally told our family that he, at that moment, he knew that God had visited him. And so he went, he went to a, a center, he got cleaned up, he became, he started um, doing recovery, he had cleaned up and had come back to his family asking for forgiveness. Like It was this whole testimony that this man um, shared simply, <laughs> I just want you to hear this, simply because he was seen. This is not to 
to say Elton's amazing because he is right. Um, but because talk about simplicity of what it means to be human and how vulnerable and frail and how something so what we would think is small can literally bring you back to life to be seen. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get to do on a daily basis, right? On a daily basis, especially you who are serving communities and people who just aren't seen, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? They're, 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 they're not seen as human being. And we have, we have work to do. This is when, again, Jesus comes around and says, get it together, <laughs> get it together. You too have been complicit and kind of ignoring and pushing to the side and pretending they're not there, right? Um, what does it look like for us to open our eyes that we might be seen, right? And to open our eyes for the sake of seeing one who, who doesn't know that they're loved, right? Mm -hmm. Who doesn't know that they have worth and value in the world, right? Um, that God might use us to help others know that they are loved, right? Sometimes <laughs> we might not see that right away either. There, there are plenty of times where a day can be very frustrating. Sure. The center. Mm -hmm. And there are also days, what they call payday, Mm. Where after a frustrating day, I've had this happen a number of times, but this, this man comes back and he said, I just wanted to let you know that I've been sober for five years mm. and it's because of what you said. And I'm just thinking, uh, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? Yeah. yeah. And it's that, that's really God at work and that, that love. That, yeah. Uh, I the mean, the difference it can make in such small ways. Just. Doesn't it always happen just oh. when you're right at the bottom? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it seems like that's another moment where, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, that's enough. Yeah. It's enough yeah. to just mm -hmm. keep going. That's payday. <laughs> yeah. When we, the day that we get to be seen, right, that we've been working, right, and, and our vows become true, right, that um, uh, do not be discouraged, for your work is not in vain. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, every single day is a hardship. Ooh, is it a hardship? And yet God continues to happen, not only for us, but through us. God mm -hmm. continues to happen. Mm -hmm. um, talk about grace upon grace. Right. Talk about love, because um, that's I think that's what that's what love is. Love is love is the 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 I mean, God is love. Right. And this God is the one who comforts us who is a mirror to us right who will confront us when we're not living in keeping with with god's will with god's desire and call for us right we have responsibilities we are accountable for our actions and for our way the ways that we show up in the world whether it's for our own personal gain or if it's for the sake of the whole right we are convicted on a daily basis where are we um imperfect right mm -hmm. and where do we need to hold on to christ and remember that we belong to christ and that our first identity is in christ from the moment of our baptism um i think that's one of the things that i've always found man especially in the environment and in the climate in which we're in um where we are in context right we're in dc for in general um most of the people that we're surrounded by most of the people that we serve um, have a strong political identity, partisan identity, right? And yet, as believers in Christ, we our first identity is in Christ, right? What would it look like for us to um, always live 
and this is work, this would be work, right? Because we're human. But what would it look like for us to lead from a place that our identity is in Christ? What is what is the tug? What is the pull? What is the push, right, that, that, that Jesus is calling us to precisely because we are loved, precisely because the world is loved? What does it look like for us to lead from a place of confidence in who we are in and through Christ, right? I think that's the invitation. We don't have a clear answer. Um, there is no, you know, perfect answer. There's no perfect anything other than the perfect love of, love of Christ. Um, but but I, think, I think the invitation is for us to question, to really think about this. What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? What does it mean for us to be bold and boundless in our love for Jesus, the one who presses and pushes us to bend all of our work towards justice, the one who presses and pushes us to move away from the concepts and focus on humanity, right? The one who says, when you serve the least of these, you're serving me, right? What would it look like for us to truly and intentionally live in a way um, that reflects who we are in Christ rather than where we are in context, right? Well, and I think that's where, again, the community of, of, mm -hmm. of Christ, Christ believers, the community of, um, and, and what you all keep referring to, which I think a lot of people don't realize there's this, this um, third sacrament besides word and sacrament, but it's also the mutual care and consolation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the community of, of, of people that Christ has gathered us together. So that's the only way yeah. because we can't, can't do, it, do alone. it on our own. No. And there's such a desire now to be isolated mm -hmm. and um, to be bold and boundless in remembering that even though we're imperfect, mm -hmm. <laughs> the church is, you, you will always find what you're seeking to find yeah. within the church, which oftentimes people come with a negative idea. But mm -hmm. if you are coming to see and be love, mm -hmm. then Christ will will continue to keep that, that empowering, spirit-filled yeah. love present. Yeah. Um, that's the community and the mutuality that I'm grateful for every single day. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely true. And um, I think that that's a good word to to end on. Um, I really thank you all for being exactly who you are, um, people who love Jesus, people who are committed to the gospel um, and to the demands of the gospel. I thank you. Um, for showing up every single day, especially in those days, right, that aren't so great. Um, and sometimes, sometimes we get those those grace days, right, when we've yeah. been seen and um, when others are seen through the work that we get to do um, for the sake of the gospel. I believe, I truly believe that if, if and when, and even, I'm going to say this and then say the next thing. If and when we show up because God has called us and given us the agency and the possibility and the capacity to show up, God will happen and this world will turn. <laughs> this world is turning, even if it's not the planet, the world in which we live in and participate in will turn um, for the sake of the, for the, for the better. Um, and whether we get it right or not, the world is turning. <laughs> whether we show up or not god will happen right <laughs> whether we decide yeah. to say yes to 
to this day, right? God will continue to say yes for us, right? And so I don't want us to think that the burden is on us because it isn't. And yet we are accountable for the capacity and the gifts that God has given us, right? But that isn't the end all be all. How can we hold both, right? And know that God... God will always have the last word. Thanks be to God. (laughs) God will always have the last word. And whatever needs to happen for the sake of the world will happen. It would just be pretty pretty cool if um, we get to be a part of it, right? If we get to be a part of, and and we make ourselves a part of the world turning in a way that reflects God's kingdom come, right? So thank you again. Thank you for being with us. I hope that you will join us again, those who are hearing us. Um, next week, we have yet another guest and conversation that we're looking forward to. I'd like you to think about participating in our prayer nights. I'd like you to think about participating in partnership ministries. I'd just like you to think about what it is for us, for you, to consider living into the mission God has placed before us as a synod that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we might be called to cultivate a bold and boundless love for Jesus and for all God's beloved creation. And so next week, we'll be talking about what that love looks like for all of God's creation. And I hope that you will join us and I hope that you will comment on our website and on our Facebook and that you'll share. Um, and you may be part of our one of our conversation partners soon. Um, but I really do thank everyone for joining us today. This has been a gift. And as we had prayed for, um, we leave this space refreshed 